What's up, everyone, and welcome to Look Who's Talking Mao. I am your host, Chris Mowry, and joining me today is a rising star in the culinary world here in Kansas City and the country, for that matter, in the barbecue world, Tyler Harp of Harp Barbecue. How are you doing? Thanks for having us on. We're happy to be here. No problem, man. Uh, on this episode, we're going to dive into how you got started on this barbecue journey and what the future holds. But let's start with this. Where are you from, Tyler? I am from Independence, born and raised, pretty much lived there my whole life. Uh, I spent a big portion of 2009 living in Brooklyn, New York, but other than that, I have been in Independence uh, since 1986 when I was born. Nice. What, uh, what, what took you to Brooklyn? I was in a weird spot in my life. I was about 23 years old at the time, and um, I really just wanted to challenge my perspective, challenge the way I viewed stuff, challenge the way I thought about things, and so um, I grew up, my grandmother and grandfather, they sold their house when I was about 10 or 11 years old, and they lived, and probably younger than that, nine or so, they lived in an RV, they traveled around, you know, south in the winter, north in the summer type deal, mm-hmm. and they would fly me to travel wherever, you know, they were at, they wanted to see me, and they would travel to have me there, and so just based on those experiences, I'd seen a lot, I got to go to Europe when I was about 13 or 14, oh, Cool. I'd seen some different things, and I knew there was a lot of stuff outside of the Midwest, and I just really wanted to challenge my perception, uh, and there is probably no better place to do that than Brooklyn, New York. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's a completely different world, man. Yes, it is. And that's cool that you do that, too. Like, I, I, I can honestly say that I've lived in either St. Louis or Kansas City my entire life, but... You need to travel at least to understand a little bit of different viewpoints and, and things like that. But fullheartedly agree, and it, it's crazy now to think about stuff and how that short time in New York influenced the way either I think now or why we do stuff now. There was one night when I was in New York and literally have no idea what I was doing or why I was there, but it was like <laughs> 1 a.m. and I walked past Katz's Deli. Oh, nice! And yeah, it was open and it was busy and. I stumbled in there, um, and that was my first real experience with pastrami. Yeah. So that's 11 years ago now, and it's just something that minor as that. If I hadn't done that, I may not be as passionate and uh, love pastrami as much as I do. Love, love the process of it. Love having a product that's not super readily available here. Um, on our menu at different times, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with pastrami, and <laughs> that's the reason why. Catch <laughs> Deli did it. Yes. What's your earliest memory that's barbecue or food related that shaped you? Well, I grew up with my dad and his brother and a couple of their buddies. They competed on the competition scene here in Kansas City. So there was nights, you know, when I was, I believe they started around 1993, so I've been seven years old. And they probably ran until 98 or so, 99. So from the time I was, you know, seven years old until I was basically high school, I was around them. I played baseball growing up, but my favorite memories outside of that are being with my dad, my uncle, cooking barbecue on the competition scene. So yeah, that was my earliest memory of barbecue. There was nights where I thought they were going to bed early, and I was nine years old, kind of out there stoking the fire, making sure I was maintaining myself. In reality, they had probably just drank too many Coors Lights, so <laughs> going to bed early, and yep. you know, it's I guess all. You know, it depends how you view that. But I got a good start when I was young around barbecue about people that really cared about barbecue. Uh, So I owe my path to my father and my uncle. And they were the ones that kind of set the tone for what I was going to be doing for the rest of my life. And what's funny to circle back on the New York thing is part of the reason I went to New York is because I didn't know what I was doing with my life. 
And uh, it's funny, you travel and you, you do all these things and you know, I spent most of my 20s trying to figure out what it is I want to do, what's important to me, what am I passionate about. And like I said, I traveled a good amount to try to figure that out. And then ultimately it comes back to the thing my dad showed me when I was fucking seven. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. so, I mean. <laughs> I already know the answer to this question, but uh, I'm sure people are interested. Did you attend any schooling for culinary-wise, or, or did you just learn by, by doing it? Well, I guess it depends on how you look at it. I've never been to a formal culinary school. Um, I've, I've been fortunate. Um, the Instagram era, for me, it was really peaking at the perfect time with when we kind of decided what we want to do. So I was able to make a lot of connections around the country on Instagram, um, you know, specifically Texas, but Tennessee, Carolinas, California, Mm -hmm. you know, even Kansas City. And with the Instagram coinciding with the start of our business, it was just perfect because I was shocked at who had Instagram in the barbecue world. There would be older guys that are, you know, from Carolina that are 50, 60 years old, and you're like, this guy didn't have Instagram, and he right. did. Yeah. And not only <laughs> do they, they, a lot of the guys are paying attention to what's going on, and so um, I got extremely fortunate that my path kind of aligned with the path of Instagram. Obviously, Instagram was around well before we started in 2016, but I feel like it really started gaining a lot of traction, like 2014, 2015, and it was just the most incredible tool. There was a lot of guys that are older that want to pass their skills down to people that maybe don't necessarily want to put in the work to do it, or there's not people to pass the skills down to. Right. So Instagram was a great way to bridge that gap. Um, and then, yeah, so to answer your question, I've not been to culinary school, but I've got to work with a lot of cooks, pitmasters, chefs that know way more than I do. Um, I think I've cooked in five or six different states now, and then... We just got done with a stint at the Antler Room here in Kansas City. Yeah. And that was an unbelievable experience for myself, um, just to learn from uh, Nick and Leslie, their entire staff. I had never been in a kitchen where <laughs> people that skilled and that thoughtful and that creative and that are that passionate about what they do. And so just to be inside of that building for 10 weeks, it, it was a huge advantage for me. And again, not culinary school, but... I probably learned more in those 10 weeks than I learned in, in 12 years of the educational public school system. So yeah, <laughs> it was that valuable to me. What was your first restaurant or food gig? Well, it was kind of funny. In 2016, I was going through like this really shitty time in my life. And I knew that like, I was working fine dining. I was working in Hereford House. Um, I worked there for about five or six years. and. I kind of hit this little valley and it was weird. I was in a bit of a rough spot personally. And when you work fine dining in that industry, uh, the default mode is to always be partying. Um, Yes. And we would get off work at, you know, anywhere from 10 to 11 o'clock and people are already drinking and, you know, the whole nine yards. And like I said, I was in a lull. I knew I was vulnerable and I knew that I didn't want to go down the path of alcoholism. I, I had seen it a lot, and I knew the destruction it caused. And like I said, I knew I was vulnerable. So kind of what I would do was I would get off work from Hereford House, and instead of going to party, I would go home and find something to cook to keep my mind busy, keep myself entertained. I would cook chicken, ribs, pork, um, you know, beef, anything I could find just to keep my mind occupied so I wasn't a in the depression of the spot I was in in my life and be drinking mm-hmm. so it was how I pulled myself out of my slump was just always cooking always cooking always cooking 
So that was in early summer, so 2016. Late summer 2016, we went to, uh, a bunch of friends and myself rented a house at the Lake of the Ozarks for a weekend. Mm -hmm. and that's the time to party. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, I wasn't doing like the everyday party things, but still hanging out with friends and weekends and stuff. And so we had went to, we had a house at the Lake of the Ozarks and it's a funny story how it worked out, but basically we just cooked barbecue that weekend for, uh, I think there was 15 of us in our house and then up the cove in a different house, there was another five or six friends that would come in and hang out with us for the weekend. And so I was just cooking food and we were having a damn good time as you do at the Lake of the Ozarks. Right. And uh, I just, it just kind of came over me and I think all my friends kind of knew it too. Like, you know, this is what, you know, you're going to be doing. And so I guess to get a little bit off track here, in 2014, Daniel Vaughn, or maybe it was 16, Daniel Vaughn, who's the barbecue editor for Texas Monthly Magazine, mm -hmm. he wrote a story called Limp Brisket, and it was about <laughs> how Kansas City Barbecue Brisket was not good. My dad and my uncles were pretty fired up about that. So my dad, uncle, and I, in November of 16, we hopped in a truck and went to Texas, and we'll say, well, we'll, we'll see what they got. First place we went to was La Barbecue. It was, it was a just incredible experience. We went to a few more places that day around town, and the next morning we went out to Snow's Barbecue in Lexington, Tennessee, and Louis Miller, um, all these old, traditional, just powerhouses and barbecue you know mm. and we came back from that trip I think I went to about 17 barbecue restaurants on that trip I think my dad and uncle maybe did 10 but I was sneaking out at night going to more um, <laughs> and within a week or two weeks of coming back from that trip in November we had bought a 150 gallon offset smoker so I could cook like six briskets on it uh, maybe eight pork butts and that was really I think we paid $400 for this smoker. We bought it out in Wichita, or I'm sorry, we bought it in Topeka. I don't know how we even got it home. The lug nuts on the trailer tires were not lug nuts. There was like screws in there holding the tires on and the trailer's like bouncing and we pulled over like three different times between Topeka and Independence getting this thing back. And this thing was thinner than paper. Uh, and the, the design on it was horrible. I mean, just absolutely terrible. And we made it work somehow for until June, and that was in November. And then in June, I got I got a smoker that was more efficient. It worked better. It was three hundred seventy five gallons, so we were cooking, you know, twelve or fourteen briskets on it. And uh, so that was kind of the beginning of the process. And then to fast forward from that to this previous year. We started popping up a crane on March. On June 29th, last year, I quit my job. On June 30th, Daniel Vaughn, the same guy that wrote the article about Limp Brisket, was in line at our pop-up. And I've never been more shocked or stunned at anything in my life. And for those people that don't exactly know the barbecue scene, um, as well as I do, Daniel Vaughn is essentially to the barbecue scene what Dr. Dre was to the rap scene in the 90s and the 2000s. Like, okay. if Dr. <laughs> Dre puts you on the game, you are now on the game. Right. 
And it was a very similar deal where if Daniel Vaughn puts you in the barbecue game, you're now on the game. So he was in line that next day. I was scared shitless. <laughs> My hands were shaking. I could barely slice brisket. And he still gives me shit about that to yeah. this day because he, he could tell. Yeah. And I think that's a lot of guys' reaction when he's in line. Mm-hmm. Um, the very next morning, I, like I said, I had hopped on a plane and I went to Los Angeles for 10 days. And I did a couple pop-ups out there. Uh, one for the 4th of July where we did burn-ins. I hopped back on the plane, I think July 10th or 11th, to come back to KC. Really late flight, like last flight of the night. And I get home, we land, and my phone had just like freaking blown up on this flight. I'm like, what the hell is going on? And when I was on that flight, Daniel Vaughn had put out an article about our barbecue. And so it was crazy to see it come full circle from why we took that first trip to Texas to why to our evolution of what we were doing and then Daniel Vaughn writing an article saying there is legit brisket in Kansas City now. So That's that fantastic. Was, yeah, that was a crazy experience and I'm still shocked at how it aligned. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a couple questions here that, that you sort of touched on a little bit in there. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I kind of want to get your, your views on them. Uh, do you remember the first time you created, created a dish uh, that made you realize, oh shit, uh, I got something? And when did you realize that you for sure wanted to be a pit master and that's what you were going to be doing. I think a lot of it goes back to that trip to the lake. Um, we made we did some pork butts that were really, really good that trip. Um, and it was obviously it's a pork butt, you know, looking yeah. back at it, it's not like some extravagant, hard, difficult piece of meat to cook. I started cooking on just your standard, basic backyard offset that you can cook two briskets on. So I had been doing that every single weekend for four months, three months before that lake trip. And so I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew like I could probably cook a pretty good pork butt. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that was really, again, that was the start of it. And, and getting to share that moment uh, with people so close to me, some of my best friends that I've, you know, people I've known for 20 years, it was really special to be able to share that moment with them. Yeah. And tell me exactly how Harp Barbecue came about and how you started doing these pop-ups and things at Crane. Yeah, so we, that was the very start of it, was that 16 summer. Um, We got that bigger smoker towards the end of 16, and then um, we started selling barbecue out of the driveway, and we- Out the driveway of your your house? house, (laughs) yeah. And it got crazy at some point. Yeah. I mean, there was a day in the driveway where we sold 15 briskets. And I'm like, man. That's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Just waiting on the neighbors yeah. to be like, hey, uh, they're basically running a business out of and here. And what's <laughs> funny is, is where I live, we've got a fairly strict HOA. Mm-hmm. And I was just waiting for that note on the door, the yep. knock, or somebody to come bitch. It never happened. When we started Because they up, were eating the barbecue and they were yeah. like, it's fine. <laughs> when we started popping up at Crane people bitched that we were no longer smoking in the neighborhood on oh, yeah. Saturday. So like no one complained the whole time we did it. And then when we stopped, people were like, why aren't you cooking barbecue here anymore? Uh-huh. And it was just like, man. But uh, so what happened was in late 2019, uh, Chris Bingston, who owns Common Descent Provisions, it's a sauce company here in Kansas City. He specializes in hot sauce. I think that's really his passion, but he, he dabbles in almost any condiment and, mm-hmm. uh, he had been buying my barbecue and he said, hey, I really want to make you a barbecue sauce. At that time, I didn't have any interest in making a barbecue sauce. So I said, yeah, let's, let's work something out. And we did. 
he was making all these test samples for me, and we were. I kind of put the guy through the ringer. I feel bad about it, but we have a really good product now that yeah. I really, really like. And uh, so one day he's like, "Hey, I made some sauce for you. Let's uh, let's meet up, and I'll give it to you." And I said, "Okay, let's go to Grinders and have a beer." And he said, "Perfect." So we met there, and we're having a beer. And he's like, "What are you going to do with this?" And I told him, "I said, well." I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to try to find a bar that has a kitchen they're not using. And at the time, I'd just been to one Lucky Boys. Mm -hmm. They were hosting pop-ups in their kitchens. And that was kind of what got the wheel turning for me. I said, I know there's lots of kind of old Pizza Hut buildings that are now bars, but they don't sell food. And so Chris and I were meeting, and I said, yeah, I think that's my plan. That's what I'm going to do. And he said... You know, he said, I think that's a good plan. And uh, he said, I'm, I'm going to get a hold of you Monday. So I said, okay. He had went to Crane Brewing Company because they had actually, Michael cooked a whole goat, Michael Crane, mm-hmm. uh, right about that time. And Chris was doing a, Crane was bottling beer and they have a beer, and I don't know exactly the detail, but something like the carbonation didn't come out right. So they couldn't use the beer. So they had Chris making a, it was a kumquat weiss. So Chris, since the beer wasn't carbonated, um, they let Chris like come up and develop a sauce with the beer because they didn't want it to just go to waste. Right. And, uh, so he was working with them, developing developing a kumquat barbecue sauce for when Michael was doing stuff at the brewery. And uh, he he called me the next day and he was like, "Hey, you know, I think you should talk to these guys at Crane. They're looking at getting a food vendor." And kind of just to circle back on that story a little bit, in August of 17 my friend Craig Jones um, was doing a pizza pop-up at Craig Mm -hmm. and Craig is a good friend of my parents and myself and I went to go support them and and buy their pizza and I kind of mentioned to uh, Craig I said what's up with this place and Craig bought my barbecue at the time and still does but I said what's up with this place and barbecue and he said well Michael does barbecue and I thought in my head, I was like, you know, I don't want to bother that man. He's selling his barbecue. I'm not trying to bring my barbecue into his territory. And, like, you know, I just, I'll just move on. And, you know, obviously he's doing his thing. Well, mm-hmm. a year or whatever and a half and went by, and he decided they wanted somebody else to do it. Chris set up the meeting, and uh, I went and met with Michael and Christopher that same week on Wednesday or Thursday. And, it's so crazy like this is just sometimes you're just on a path and you know like this is wild like this shit's insane and it was that and so I go meet with Michael Michael is from Jackson Tennessee when he was a boy they would go to the Tennessee River and you know go on the river during the summertime well one of my mentors and the man that taught me how to cook whole hogs his name is Zach Parker he's in Lexington Tennessee right between Jackson and the Tennessee River. So growing up, Michael and his family on their way to the Tennessee River would stop at Scott's Barbecue and get their barbecue to take to the river with them. And so when I was telling Michael that I've been to Scott's Barbecue, I've worked you know hundreds of hours at Scott's Barbecue, I'm really good friends with Zach, the owner, like, I think his jaw was just on the floor, and mine too, kind of, like I just could not <laughs> believe that this man grew up at a place where I at that and I don't get to spend as much time there but at the time I was spending a lot of time down there and uh, you know it's just one of those things where everything aligns and you wonder how and why and what and <laughs> it did and it's been a good fit for us and I think a good fit for Crane too yeah absolutely 
Crane's been a big supporter of, of stuff that I've done. Uh, when I managed a band, Pink Royal, we collaborated on stuff. Um, and then they also uh, helped me out with some stuff for this podcast. Uh, so they're out in Raytona Beach. It is delicious sour beers over there. They have other types of beers, too, if, if you're not a sour fan. It's uh, really good stuff up there. Yeah, they're, they're well-rounded, and they have a good beer style, and um, they're doing some really good IPAs right now, too. So um, They're great folks. They're really passionate. They're hardworking, and they are very involved in the community. I'm not sure that I've ever seen a business involved as the community as much as Crane is, you know, before the virus hit, yeah. I was, we all have our digital um, calendars at Crane on computers and it was literally every single day, Michael was here, Christopher was here, Michael was here, Christopher was here, mm-hmm. and we got this collab here and, and so I, I really, uh, obviously that's a little bit of my style and what I do too and, and I really appreciate everything that those guys do to try to push the culture of the Kansas City beer scene forward, and, and I think they've had a lot of progress with that, too. Absolutely. Uh, first thing that struck me about seeing your barbecue on Instagram was uh, your presentation and your incorporation of fruit, which, being here in Kansas City, you don't see strawberries and stuff uh, with, yeah. <laughs> with your with your brisket or your pulled pork, and just the color you used and the plating. Uh, where, where did that come from? So, I worked for the Royals in high school from age 16 to age 21. When that was done, I went to work at a butcher shop, and I worked for a man named Kent Bender. Kent instilled the work ethic that I have in me. He was just a very blue-collar, very gritty, very willing to do anything possible for his business, his employees, Um, and and I've never been treated better by a supervisor. I've I've had some good ones and some bad ones like we all have, and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, Kent is just... He was really, really just passionate about what I what he did, and that rubbed off on me. So I, I owe a lot of my success to Kent Bender. When I was working in that shop, the seafood manager, his name was Dave Seipel, and he was in charge of the meat case. Like, when you walk up, you'll see the meat case. Most anal person I've ever met in my <laughs> life. We butted head hards a handful of times when mm-hmm. I started working there. Uh, we eventually became friends and had great respect for each other. I've never seen anybody care as much about the presentation of their case. I mean, if you were putting uh, a pan of twice-baked potatoes in the case and a piece of cheese fell off onto the pan, he was on it. Like, yeah. that's not acceptable. Right. And uh, the presentation, I think, came from working around Dave Seipel and just how anal he was about his meat case and how everything had to be perfect and we have a long way to go with our plating i'm still not fully happy with it but um just working around somebody that was a perfectionist with the way their food was presented for five years and then i would look at barbecue in kansas city i also worked at hereford house when you're working fine dining plating it's it's a big thing it's meaningful Mm -hmm. um in barbecue not as much or at least at the time not as much and so just those two experiences working in the meat shop for just this dude that would not let anything slide yeah and working in fine dining and picking up like oh wow we can do this double bone-in pork chop with this cherry gastrique or whatever and make it look super awesome and pretty and i was like we're going into the instagram era that's important right um and then so let's let's take note of that and let's pay attention and like I said, I'm still not happy with where we're at with it, but I, I think we're going to keep improving on it. And 
I try to be a perfectionist, but I'm not as skilled as my perfection standards are. Yeah. So, <laughs> I noticed too that you're constantly traveling uh, to mm-hmm. different regions and learning and trying their barbecue. Mm-hmm. I know that came from uh, your father, but I want to talk about the importance of that because a lot of Kansas City barbecue, we're just we're real set in our ways about mm-hmm. this is how you do it. Um, and if you say add mustard to your rub, now you've somehow the sanctity of the Kansas City barbecue has been been diminished or something like that. But I, I think it's important that you're gathering information from all these different regions and bringing it back and making something new out of it. And one thing with the way that started was I just wanted to be well-rounded. You know, that was yeah. my whole thing is I wanted to be well-rounded. But as time moved on and I um, I went down to Tennessee where I was trained to cook whole hogs and I cooked briskets for the restaurant and the employees, friends down there. Um, and in Tennessee, barbecue is only pork. Like when people say the word barbecue, mm-hmm. what they're referring to is pork. It's not like ribs and brisket or burnings, it's, it's pork. Right. And so there's not you know, hardly any brisket worth a damn in West Tennessee. And, and maybe at some barbecue restaurants, there may be. But in Lexington, Tennessee, particularly where I go, there's not. And so I'd cooked all these people uh, briskets, and they were awesome people. They'd done a lot for me. I was happy to be able to do that. And they uh, they enjoyed it. You know, they really liked the brisket. And I thought, man, that's really cool. They hadn't had a lot of brisket like that, and I got to serve it to them. After that, I got to go to Rockport, Rockport, Texas, and um, I cooked a whole hog in the middle of beef country Yeah. at my buddy Brett's Backyard's Barbecue. Um, after that, I went to San Francisco, and I cooked a whole hog. I went to Los Angeles and cooked burnt ends, and then we were doing barbecue here with, like, Texas brisket. We've done Tennessee, excuse me, we've done Tennessee whole hog here as, as well, and through all of those experiences, my passion had evolved from cooking barbecue to bringing barbecue from other regions into regions that it's not currently available and trying to do it at a high level. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's weird, you know, you just want to cook barbecue. And then, like, my passion, it completely just evolved. And I wanted to do stuff in regions, you know, just like pastrami in Kansas City. As far as I know, I, I know there are people that do pastrami specifically around St. Patrick's Day and stuff, mm-hmm. um, but there's not a lot of like really good pastrami, not just in barbecue, but anywhere. In anywhere, Kansas. yeah. I know that Brown's Deli, they used to have some good pastrami. I'm not sure if they still do. I haven't been there in a long time, but um, yeah, that was just the goal of that, and it evolved into something way different, and then it was like, this is really cool. We, get, we, we have a pretty good knowledge and a grip of what's going on in Kansas City, Texas, Tennessee, in California, and now we can take stuff to those regions and, and give people something they don't have access to. I'm not sure how many whole hogs had been cooked in Oakland, California for the public availability, but right. I would imagine it was probably not a whole lot. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm also super fascinated by the sort of behind-the-scenes things of kitchen work and things like that. I've, I've uh, done food running and things like that before, um, uh, expediting, all those kind of things. So how much work goes into one pop-up service like how much what does that work day look like and how much is, is there a ton of prep days or, or how does that how does yeah that so monday i kind of just mill around the brewery a little bit maybe do a little bit of shopping get some stuff kind of reorganized from the weekend before kind of clean up a little bit tuesday we do all of our shopping we do all of our pickling and if we need stuff we do ordering Wednesday is a full day 
it's every bit of five, six hours of trimming brisket and making sausage. By that point, a lot of the prep work is done. On Thursday, we're just, we're making our sides. So the meat prep work's done by Wednesday. Thursday is side prep work. Friday is, you know, 12, 15 hour marathon cook. Saturday, I get back at the brewery at about 6 a.m. and start cooking again for service at 11. So for me, I'm at probably 60, 70 hours a week to sell barbecue for two or three, and that's not including networking and meeting with other chefs in the city and trying to get better at my craft and understand other people's crafts and how we can incorporate that into what we do, yeah. um, which is what I've been focused on with the quarantine while we've been at the Antler Room. We've got an event coming up in uh, next week at Westport Cafe. That's going to be July 12th. July 12th. Two weeks. Um, and yeah, so Roman and David and their staff, uh, they're from France. It's a French restaurant. I knew nothing about French cuisine. Mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of time with them over the past couple of weeks. And um, now I'm starting vaguely to understand kind of what French cuisine is. And then hopefully I'll have a, 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 a fuller grasp of that in the coming weeks. And again, I just like to learn about other people's cultures, other people's ideas. And then we've got some ideas for so the French Independence Day is July 14th mm-hmm. which is what we're celebrating but we're going to do it on Sunday the 12th we've got some really good menu items we're going to do a, a burn-in burgundy we've got a couple of different sausages we're doing there's going to be like a, a lamb kind of like an El Pastor dish made with lamb Very so nice. I'm excited just to be able to add tools to my tool belt that I don't have yeah that's awesome that sounds very cool yeah. We'll try to get this episode out before that happens, so that that plug that plug Sometimes exists. Sometimes they take like a year. I've had <laughs> yeah. that happen. So I'm sure you probably don't want to relive this, but tell me a kitchen or pit nightmare story. So the previous pit, we I I still have it. It was a 375 gallon. I referred to when we went when we went to Crane from cooking in the driveway. If you've ever been to Crane Brewing, it's down in a valley, and it's pretty low down there and the air pressure is just the air pressure is weird and for smokers that's for offset smokers that's bad Um, essentially what happens is you have your firebox and you have your stack that's trying to pull the heat from the firebox Mm -hmm. but when the air pressure gets real heavy it pushes down on the stack and doesn't allow the fire to pull through near as much so one night it was just a really dense foggy evening and by the pit essentially just quit working we tried everything we could possibly do and the air pressure on the stack was just too much Um, we ended up buying a fan for the stack so if that were to happen again we could get over it but we had never experienced anything like that at that time and I think I ended up losing like seven or eight, nine briskets on that cook. And uh, the only time I've lost food is pretty devastating. We were in the middle of a, of a food video shoot. They had, <laughs> they had been there Friday uh, to kind of get all their footage of us putting food on and prepping and doing all that. And then they were going to come back Saturday to finish shooting the food. Um, so, yeah, that was a shitty deal. I had to call them and explain what happened. Um, 
it was pretty devastating at the time, but you just look back at those things and you just pick the knowledge you can gain from it. And, you know, anytime you fall, you know, you get up and it was one of those experiences that, like I said, we are prepared for that. I don't use that smoker anymore. That smoker is not built correctly. It's the science behind that smoker is not right. Mm -hmm. The smokers we have now, the science behind them is correct, so we won't have that issue again at Crane. But if we have to use that smoker again at Crane, we have a plan for it. Yeah, well, and that new smoker that you got is just absolutely ridiculous. Uh, yeah. It's insane. <laughs> yeah, I love that thing. I was I don't think I've ever been happier in my life with anything I've purchased. Uh, so that was made by Harper Barbecue. I went and visited his shop. Harper Barbecue made yeah. the Harp Barbecue. Yeah, pit. exactly. <laughs> well, what was funny is we put a poll on Instagram a long time ago, and I was just jacking around, and I said, should Harp Barbecue get a Harper Barbecue pit? Everybody said yes. All this stuff aligns, and now I'm in Southern California. Harper Barbecue's in Southern California. So I said, uh, I was with my buddy Danny, who owns Heritage Barbecue, and he run me over there. He goes, hey, let's go look at Drew's shop and see the pits. And I said, yeah, man, let's do it. And we did. And uh, Drew was doing something I hadn't seen a lot of at that time. He was putting these butterfly valves on his firebox door. And I could tell just by looking at the quality that, that Drew was an elite builder. And I really liked the butterfly deal on the firebox door because when you're cooking and zero degrees like we're prone to do in Kansas City on an offset cooker the butterfly valve allows the airflow you need without having to open your firebox door uh, because it's hard to convert zero degree air into 275 degree air so with the valve there's a lot less zero degree air to be converted so I thought that was going to be super clutch for cooking in the winters in Kansas City and uh, yeah it's a beautiful pit uh, he did a great job, and you know, if, if anybody's looking for a pit, that's a great place to start. It's halfway across the country, but uh, I think the prices are priced fair, and, and for the quality you get, it, they're very fair. Yeah, and I know you were looking at possibly opening a restaurant slash home base uh, before this pandemic started. Uh, any plans for that uh, right now? Or are you because of all this, you just kind of sticking with the pop up for pop up things for uh, now? There's a plan to get a brick and mortar going. We're not forcing that hand really hard mm -hmm. you know before now we'd been able to to grow our business grow our food quality grow our equipment that we have grow our revenue and we enjoy being at crane and uh, it's a good partnership and so as much as i want to get the brick and mortar going i don't feel like i have to make a stupid decision yeah it's not it's not so necessary i think we'll get the right opportunity we've, we've gotten some good opportunities just not ones I felt were, were the perfect or the the right opportunity. So it will come, and we're going to be patient, and we're going to just wait for it. And, I, and I, a lot of people are in such a hurry. And yeah. the, with my business specifically, everyone else is in more of a hurry than I am. But <laughs> I'm not in a hurry to go into a bunch of debt. Right. So yeah. my timeline and their timeline is kind of different. Yep. And, you know, and, and if anybody is selling food or selling a product uh, – whether it be barbecue or, or, or any type of cuisine, I would highly recommend looking into the breweries. I think there's 30 some odd breweries in the Kansas City area mm -hmm. now. A lot of them need food, want food. It's a great place to start as far as if the roof leaks or the plumbing backs up, you know, it's not like it's the money's coming out of your pocket. So it allows right. you to build uh, a customer base, improve your quality, get your food out there without the stress of like, 
a brand new business if something crazy happens like the, you know the plumbing it could potentially take you down so as far as overhead goes convenience I would I would really highly recommend anybody that wants to open a food truck or even a restaurant to maybe just look at least look into the brewery path and see if that would be right for you because I think it's something that didn't exist what probably six years ago but right. it really wasn't an option yeah. now it is and so I think people should really pay attention to that and especially people that want to sell food and I know with the uh, pandemic happening that a lot of restaurants closing I have a feeling that by this time next year there's going to be a lot of sous chefs there's so many talented people in this city um, that are going to move into those breweries because mm -hmm. the restaurant they worked at maybe didn't reopen or whatever the case may be so right. I, I think the culinary scene inside of breweries is going to just continue to, to, to evolve it has we've seen it at jousting pigs and three halves we've got uh Fox and Fire Barbecue is getting ready to open, and they are at Call Sign Brewing just on the north side there. Um, so now we're up to three barbecues and breweries. <laughs> and I told Jill Silva last year that I thought we could potentially get to like 15 one day. So it's good <laughs> to see it trend there. Uh, yeah. There's another guy named Jake here, and it looks like he's going to be able to put out some really good barbecue. And I've talked to him very briefly, but I kind of said the same thing to him. I said, hey, man, look into the breweries because... Uh, it's an option that can allow you to get going quicker than selling your driveway for three years like right. I did. <laughs> I always like to know where the chefs and the cooks go to eat. Uh, so these next series of questions are going to be about your favorite spots to grub down in town. If some of these answers are not Kansas City, that's totally fine. You can yeah. you can throw those out. So my favorite barbecue spots, yeah, I go to Jousting Pigs and I go to Scott's. Scott's mm -hmm. is up near the airport. Um, Scott's at Hangar 29. Uh, Jazzy Bees is a pretty good one out in East Summit. Um, so those are kind of the barbecue spots I like and when I grew up like Arthur Bryant's I loved Arthur Bryant's and living growing up in Independence we have a Gates and in Independence mm -hmm. so a lot of my peers and kids I was growing up with they leaned towards Gates for some reason I always loved Arthur Bryant's that was my favorite growing up um, and now so my favorite restaurant in Kansas City is easily the Antler Room I mean yeah. not, not even close it's just insane the, the skill the and the, the focus, the passion they have, and they're such, I mean, I'd have to imagine that they're probably the most cutting-edge restaurant in the Midwest. Yeah, they do they do great stuff over there. Uh, my buddy Drew Little works there. Yep, I yep. know Drew. Drew's a great guy. And uh, I also really like the Savoy. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chef Joe, Joe West, great guy, very passionate about what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, He's great too. The prime rib there—it's—it's it's unbelievable. And like I said, I worked at the steakhouse for a long yeah. time, and the prime rib at the Savoy was just on a level. I—I I, as soon as he put it on my table, I just could look at it, and I, all I do is look at meat, and I was like, "Holy shit!" Like my eyes just lit up with this yeah. piece of prime rib he'd give me. But all their food is excellent. Um, so yeah, I really like those guys a lot, and hopefully they'll be back soon. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, what's your favorite barbecue side? I love, like, it's not a lot in Kansas City, um, but I love Mexican street corn. And in oh, lotes? Yeah, the yeah. lotes. And in Texas, in Southern California, where I'm at for barbecue a lot, that's on a lot of menus, and I, and I love it. There's a place called Panther City in Fort Worth, and they do a brisket of lotes, and it is just, it's ridiculous. It's insane. <laughs> it's it's out of this world so yeah there's a um 
I guess you could say cheesy corn is almost a lotus, but it's not quite. It's not quite the same. Yeah, it's a Kansas City version of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just looking at a picture of this. Uh, that's the brisket, brisket of lotus. There's yeah, there's a lot of brisket in there. I don't even see the corn. Yeah, and there's a <laughs> lot of like case um, of fresco, limes, jalapenos, yeah. cilantro. Um, it's a really good. It's it's a great dish. And uh, I forgot what you just asked. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking your favorite barbecue side. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay. So I, I love a lotes. Yeah. I like fresh seasonal type stuff, mm-hmm. so I like like a good cucumber and tomato salad, mm-hmm. which again, you can only do those certain months a year. It's right. not huge here. Um, and again, another thing, I two other things I really enjoy eating with barbecue, and one thing, I've never been a fan of this, but to have it done right, I love collard greens with barbecue. Oof. It's so good. Collard greens are delicious. And then... In Texas, a lot of places, or a handful of places, they make a side, it's called a corn pudding. It's kind of a mix of like a cornbread casserole with the places that do it right, and it's got maybe like a slight drizzle of honey or something on it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such a good delicious. side. This actually isn't a, a where you like to eat question, but it was a question I thought of today. Ribs, sauce, rub, or both? Actually, I use a glaze. Which is, it does have our barbecue sauce in it, mm-hmm. um, but it's mainly just corn syrup and barbecue sauce. And then I don't cook with any sugar on my food. Mm-hmm. And so to kind of get that sweeter element that is what Kansas City clientele are looking for, we finish it with a glaze. And uh, to me, that's, and that's something that comes off a of competition barbecue. That's really obviously big in the competition mm-hmm. barbecue scene. So... Um, yeah, that, that's what I prefer. Just something lighter, but a little. I do like a little bit of sweetness with the salty pepper smoke of the pork. So. Yeah. Do you have a favorite pizza? I do. Uh, <laughs> I mean, who doesn't? But <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pizza. You know? <laughs> Actually, I had went recently to Strang Hall out in Overland Park. Okay. And uh, Chad Tillman. From Norcini, they have a really good pizza that they're doing. Uh, Craig Jones, the guy I referred to previously, he doesn't have a restaurant, but they do pizza stuff around the city. They also have really good pizza. And then if you're just talking kind of classic staples, uh, Minsky's, and then we got Tim's Pizza at Independence, so I'm very partial to Tim's Pizza. Yeah. What's your favorite guilty pleasure food that could be, you know, a fast food chain or, or otherwise? Guilty pleasure food. I have too many to list. <laughs> Where um, you're just like, man, I hope nobody yeah. sees me eating. So probably what I would say is on the Independent Square, there's a place called Dave's Deli. It's been there since I can remember, so at least 30 years. I went there as a kid growing up, and it's very simple. It's very basic. The chocolate chip cookie is insane. <laughs> and it's not like some huge elaborate deal, but... It's kind of nostalgic because it's what I grew up on. Mm-hmm. But I've sent people there for that cookie, and they all agree with me. So <laughs> there is something to it. That, right. that, that Just that chocolate chip cookie at Dave's Bakery at Independence is so good. What is your favorite meal? My favorite meal? Um, currently, as it stands, I am super, super into Asian cuisine. Yeah. Um, so I kind of used to go to Vietnam Cafe almost once a week. Mm-hmm. Now, well, before the pandemic, we had Sura Eats, the Korean place and parlor. Right. And then 
the executive chef when I worked at Hereford House on Aram, he opened Anusons, which is also in Strang Hall. Okay. Anuson is his brother who he named his company after. And um, cool. he does Loatian food. Okay. And if 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 I right now was to pick any dish in the city to eat at Anusons, they make a dish called Kalpoon and it's red curry coconut milk, vermicelli noodles, you know, cilantro, jalapenos, it's got pork in it. And Anuram and I are good friends. He's a mentor of mine. He's a very knowledgeable chef. So I, it's possible I'm a little bit partial, but <laughs> that is, that sounds to me, that's my, one of my favorite dishes in Kansas City right now. And honestly, anything they're doing at the Antler Room, they change their menu so much that it's hard to say, like, this is my favorite dish at the Antler Room. Right. But, you can go to the antler room and just point at three or four things on the menu, and they're all going to be phenomenal. Nice. Favorite family meal, and what I mean by this is something a family member of yours cooked, and have you ever tried to recreate the dish? My favorite family meal, or for me, something that I would really consider to be comfort food would be the chicken and dumplings that our moms make. Uh, obviously, that's kind of a fall and wintertime dish. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I've definitely thought about doing the smoked chicken and dumplings that may be something we look into is when the fall and the winter gets here. We had a brisket chili on our menu last fall winter that was insanely popular. and We may try to um, do some smoked chicken and dumplings this year as well. So we'll see how that goes. Now you may have already answered this question with the uh, deli up there, but what's your favorite hidden gem? Favorite hidden gem? It's a good question. Uh... <laughs> I don't know why it's I a tough one, yeah. I really like that picture though. Well, that's oh, yeah. amazing. Um, so my favorite, I guess, hidden gem would probably, I would say, would be the Hong Fong, I believe I said the right, Hong Fong Market and City Market. Mm-hmm. I love to go there in the winter and eat their pho. And obviously most people in Kansas City know of or about or have been to Vietnam Cafe, and rightfully yeah. so. It's, it's an excellent restaurant. But... If you pull up to Vietnam Cafe and it's extremely packed and there's a line at the door and you're in a hurry, go down to the city market a couple blocks down the street and try the Vietnamese place in city market because I, I absolutely love it. Nice. Do you have a favorite dining experience? About six months ago, I went to the Savoy <laughs> and I think Joe brought me every single dish on the menu. Uh, his pastry chef, Tia. Uh, she's super talented too and they were mm-hmm. just bringing out food after food after food I was taking like two or three bites of everything and boxing it up I went home and I had to go for a walk like five times around the block <laughs> uh, so yeah um, as far as non-barbecue I would say that one of my favorite experiences dining was definitely at the Savoy and barbecue wise my favorite experience is Probably, I would say, maybe at 2M Smokehouse in San Antonio. It's Tex-Mex barbecue. Um, so they'll do like barbacoa and they mm. do the street lotes and they make tortillas. And S. Saul, the owner, he just got nominated for a James Beard Award this year. Oh, and, wow. Uh, the food those guys are turning out, it's incredible. It's so good. So in barbecue, um, I really like 2M, Valentino's, Panther City. There's a guy in Houston that I haven't been able to get to, but he is doing... So in Texas, the Tex-Mex barbecue is taken over because you got the Mexican guys that grew up eating traditional Mexican food in their household, but would go out to eat and eat barbecue, and mm-hmm. then that fused together. 
Well, in Houston, my buddy Don is doing Vietnamese barbecue, where he's putting Ooh. brisket and pho and doing yeah. like all these different dishes with barbecue and Vietnamese food. I've not been there yet, but I can tell you just by looking at the pictures of the people I've talked to that have, it's absolutely incredible and very high on my list to get to. We've done some collaborations with Honoram and his Thai food, or I'm sorry, his Loatian food, and barbecue with Loatian food, I absolutely loved. So that was one of our favorite collaborations for sure. The spice, the freshness, the boldness of the Loatian food just with the smoked meats, I thought it was phenomenal. That's awesome. Well, I know you got to get out of here to head over to Westport Cafe for a meeting, but uh, I got five questions here that you can elaborate on or just answer super quick. These are the last ones. So if you could cook in any chef's kitchen slash pit in the world, where would it be and why? Um, If I could cook in any place, honestly, six, you know, three months ago, the answer to that question would have been the antler room. Yeah. I've just always had so much respect for how they're evolving the culture, what they're doing, and I got to do that. Um... So right now, it would probably be 2M Smokehouse in San Antonio, which I just mentioned. I love what those guys are doing with the fusion. I love I love shattering the boundaries of what people think barbecue is and what it can be. And I love going to a place, and you know, it's not just ribs and, and pulled pork. And I think barbecue can be so much more than that. Yeah. The biggest mistake people make when they barbecue at home? Probably just listening to their friends who tell them that their food's good. <laughs> I know for me, you know, I, I, I got caught up in that a little bit, I guess, but we were always like striving to go um, gain knowledge. I've been to 350 barbecue restaurants now. Jesus. So I feel like I have a fairly good barometer on what right. good barbecue is from yeah. my experiences. So, um, but yeah, it's. It's so fun to be able to do, and I hope to get to 700 barbecue spots in my life. I think you'll, I think you'll hit that with how much you travel. We have a chance. Yeah. <laughs> what food can you not stand? Food that I cannot stand. Um, as far as cuisines go, I can always find good food in different cuisines. Um, I don't like beets, and I don't Ugh. really like olives. Yeah, you know, those yeah, are kind of two things that kind of turn me off. Um, but again, if I'm at the antler room, anything they put in front of me, I'll eat because I know it's so much different and better. And we were doing this uh, smoked lamb. It was kind of like an Italian beef sandwich. We were doing smoked lamb, and it had um, the olive spread on it. And I, I actually thought that was really good. So, uh, Follow-up question. Is lamb the most underrated meat? It is an underrated meat, and kind of the history of lamb was during the Great Depression when people, restaurants were on meat rations. Uh, They would go through their beef and pork rations in the first two days of the work week, and then they would switch to lamb because, from my understanding at that time, lamb wasn't on rations, so they could switch and use that. And I really, really love lamb ribs. I think lamb ribs are excellent. So I haven't had a whole lot of lamb, but I've had it. A good handful of times, and I think a lamb rib is really good. Yeah, it's 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 one of my favorite things to cook. It's just so. And I'm going to be cooking some lamb for the Westport Cafe event in a couple of weeks. There so you go. Good chance to come get some. What have you been listening to lately? Uh, I listen to podcast wise. I got like three or four barbecue podcasts in my rotation. Kevin's Barbecue Joints, I Crush Barbecue Show, Tales from the Pits. Best barbecue. Tales from the pits. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good pod name. 
And then as far as like music, I'm really super into Bay Area rap. Like mm-hmm. Mac Dre is my favorite rapper <laughs> oh of all time. God. I love Mac Dre. I love E40. Um, I like G Easy a lot. Um, and I like Los Angeles rap too. Um, I, I'm a big Nipsey Hustle fan. So yeah, I, I guess I lean towards West Coast hip hop. That's what I like to listen to in my music rotation. There you go. Have you watched anything lately that you enjoyed that you would recommend to people? Uh, I've watched my fire pit burning a fire quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> I watched Patrick Mahomes dominate the NFL, and that's Ooh. probably what I've enjoyed the most. There you the go. Last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, you could go back and watch pretty much the entire last season yeah, since we probably aren't going to have one this year. I think quarantine. I've probably seen the Super Bowl four times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that uh, still wild to even think that that actually happened. Absolutely. It's still like it's it's like oh yeah that happened. That was real. (laughs) Yeah. And it's like a perfect timing, in my opinion. Now, not necessarily before the virus, but Kansas City at its peak in Kansas City proper was in 1970. We had 502,000 people in Kansas City proper. The estimated census for 2019 is 495,000 people. So we were very, very close to being back at the peak of residency in Kansas City. And if you... Combine that with the Chiefs doing well, more people here than ever. The potential down the line, and I know this is going to probably get some people fired up, of possibly a downtown ballpark in the next 10 years for the Royals. I think that we are setting ourselves up to just absolutely explode in the culinary world. And again, with more people moving to the city, the, the pandemic, the way it's working out, I do think that a lot of chefs will rise out of the pandemic and maybe even be better than they were before. Um, and then, so I'm super excited for the way Kansas City's moving and going and growing. And I really just, I look forward to the growth of barbecue and more specifically the culinary scene as a whole in this city. Uh, one thing we try to do with, whether it's like Westport Cafe or um, Anu Sones or we do events with... Um, the Waffle Iron. I wanna, another another really great pop-up. Yes, he is. What a, one of our goals, uh, we want to bridge the gap between, so say Westport Cafe, there's some people that may not have a lot of interest or knowledge of what French food is or how maybe it's just not on their radar yet. But if we can go and do a, a burn-in burgundy or a burn-in mac and cheese and do a couple different things, people say, that's really cool. I want to go to that. Hopefully we can bridge the gap between other cultures and the community with barbecue. And that's what I want to do. And we're going to continue to try to to push that forward as much as we can because there is a lot of good chefs in this city that maybe go a little bit under the radar because the cuisine they're cooking isn't as high on the list for people to go eat. So we want to bridge that gap. We're going to do an event with the District Biscuit House. Uh, my boy Rue, they're doing unbelievable breakfast there at the time yeah. before they had to close, unfortunately, because of the COVID. But uh, so, yeah, you know, just something that maybe wouldn't be on somebody's radar and we can put them on people's radar with barbecue. So I think that's a really way, good way to go about it. And that's what we're trying to do. I can't think of a better way to end this show. Yeah. That was really great, man. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for coming yeah. on. Uh, this was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So No problem.